0: This is Clothes Making Mavens, a sewing podcast about handmade fashion. Hi, welcome to Clothes Making Mavens. I'm Lori from FrivolousAtLast.com. And I'm Helena from GrailDay.com. And today we are hearing from, let's call it a guest from the future, because she's joining us from <laughs> Japan. And so, Helena, for you and I, it's Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. We're across two time zones. So why not just add a third time zone? So it's tomorrow morning where Amelia is. Hi, Amelia. Hi. <laughs> so you're in Japan. Where exactly are you? In Tokyo. Tokyo. In Tokyo. Uh, and so, for our listeners, you may follow Emilia on Instagram or you might be following her blog, Emilia and Nuno. Is that, is that what it's called, Emilia? If I got
1: that right? Yes, Emilia. Emi- yeah, Emilia Tonuno. Emilia Tonuno. <laughs> so,
0: is that yeah. Italian or is it Japanese? Or I know. The, <laughs> and we've got to unpack this whole thing about where you're from, <laughs> where you grew up, and where you're living now. It sounds all very
1: exciting. So, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, the, my blog is and my Instagram is Emilia Tonuno and to means end in Japanese it's it, like in English it sounds like Emilia to fa, and nuno is fabric so Emilia and fabric and in English it sounds something like Emilia goes to the fabric which is what I do so I'm yeah <laughs> uh, originally I'm from Italy and um, I'm a PhD student in neuroscience actually I'm almost I should finish my PhD in a few months. And uh, for academic reasons, I moved from Italy to Japan, really by accident, to be completely honest. And I've been here almost five years and I like it. So prob- we want to stay here long term. We, uh, we meaning your Yeah, mm-hmm. me, me and my husband, we met in Japan, um, but he's not Italian. Where's he from? Uh, the United States.
0: Wow, this just gets more and more international as we go along. <laughs> so you went to Japan by accident for academic purposes and you're studying
1: neuroscience. Tell us more about that. Um, so I did uh, the master's degree. So in it, in most European countries, it's different from the U.S. When it comes to higher education, we have a bachelor's, which is three years and not four, and a master's and a PhD. And these three are distinct entities. So... Uh, I did all of them in different universities, and the PhD. is generally three years or four years. So, so I did a master's in a um, kind of international university, and we were asked to go abroad to do a uh, thesis research, and I was interested in uh, neurodevelopmental disorders like autism, schizophrenia. And I started, and I said, I will go to the first place which replies to me. So I wrote to several labs all over the world without a lot of preferences. I mean I didn't mind where to go and I ended up in Japan, I mean the first guy who replied was a professor in Japan and I was like, sure I guess I'm moving to Japan. Wow. So that's how, by accident, yeah. That's so oh, brave
2: too, you just, whatever it will yeah. be will be, I love that.
1: Yeah, I just went with like not knowing absolutely anything about the country, the language, but It all worked out. Wow. Were
0: you a sewer before you headed to Japan, land of amazing fabrics?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, actually, absolutely not. Though sewing has always been in my family because I come from a part of the country where uh, they manufacture wool, so like wool suitings especially. Mm -hmm. So everybody in my family, both on the paternal and maternal side were involved in manufacturing. And and one of my great-aunts is a tailor. So my father sews, so I knew how to operate the sewing machine and redo a hem. But then in Japan between... I say sewing in Japan because in between finishing my master's and starting my PhD, I was at home doing nothing and I needed a hobby. And I started being involved with... um, ethical consumerism, and I discovered ethical fashion, and sustainability, and I became completely obsessed by it, and, and, but at the same time, I could not afford, a, with a graduate student salary, to shop Elizabeth Suzanne, and I thought, hmm, how hard can it be to do it myself? So I bought a sewing machine, and I never stopped. Amazing. You found, you found your obsession, like we did. Yeah. Yes.
0: In reading your blog, one of the things you say about yourself is that you are obsessed with waste management. And uh, I was reading one of your posts. You said, the problem of waste has been at the center of my mind since I started sewing. How could I create beautiful garments and at the same time generate so many offcuts, often of unusable dimensions? So how do you square that as a, as a self-professed, waste-obsessive a, a person? <laughs>
1: Yeah, but um, I don't have a complete answer to that. And I'm trying to sew more zero-waste patterns. So there are a couple of designers. I know there's text, um Textiles, and she released last year, I think, the minor dress, which I tested. And that's a zero-waste pattern. And then there is another designer from France, uh, Milan AV mm-hmm. I think I never know how to pronounce her name. Um so and the garments they create with zero waste are amazing. So I'm looking into that and also into designing my own garments. For th- and for the offcuts I generate myself, some end up in a poof stuffing for poof it's right. Nice, yeah. And yeah, so um, I tried. I only use natural fibers, uh, so some uh, I'm composting, so the very small ones uh, um you can compost and or you make soft toys and you use them for stuffings the the problem is i don't want to throw away and of course it's it's not a, a problem i found a complete solution to but i am trying different approaches to see what works best uh, but ultimately i would like to only use zero waste patterns mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, you know, then you have zero waste. Right. And, and we can actually post um, a list
0: of zero waste patterns. So you mentioned LB Textiles and Milan AVJC. So I, I actually re- um, made a dress from Milan AVJC. And I found that the LB Textiles dress that you tested, Emilia, is actually similar in, uh, in the way it looks. And I think... Yeah. When you're making a dress that's zero waste, you end up often with interesting design lines. There's sometimes mm-hmm. some asymmetry in that you take sort of rectangles of fabric and, and, uh, you know, cross them over each other, so you might have uneven hems and things like that. And I personally love that aesthetic. So, give me a diagonal line, a diagonal seam somewhere in in a clothing design, and I'm like, yes, bring it on. So, and I get the sense maybe uh, you have um, a similar aesthetic.
1: Yeah, actually, I like those a lot. I think they're super cool and but still polished and not. It doesn't, I mean, it looks edgy but not in a way which is really on your face, in a way which is more subtle and sophisticated and like particular but not not quirky and girly but just, you know, I don't, they're amazing, I like them and it reminds me a lot of Kimono. Cause kimono is like the quintessential zero waste design because you use the entirety of the bolt and you just take in to make it to your size you just take in at the seams a bit more mm-hmm. or less but it's basically the same so, hmm. so yes do you cut that off at possible. the seams when you're
0: constructing a kimono or does it stay as part of the garment even when you take it in
1: no you ju- it just stays part of the garment ah. For example, this is very evident in um, um Hito-e, so unlined kimono. And and if you open it, you really see these uh, side seams, which are like a lot taken in. They have a lot taken in maybe on one side, but not so much on the center back. Uh-huh. Um, so And then you can just take it apart. So, for example, this is typical for children. They make kim- they, a kimono for a child, and then they take in at the... Um, where the um, when the where the sleeves is attached to the body, and then when the child grows, they just let it out. So you can still wear the kimono while you're growing.
2: Oh, that's it, really clever. Elaine and I are
1: both gasping right now. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> that's, that's just, just like, so
2: brilliant. <gasps> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's yeah. where you start. You grow, I mean, that's where you really notice
2: children's growth too, is in their shoulders. So if you could. Um, you could kind of design something that is adjustable there that would be amazing for fitting. I just, yeah, I'm yeah, just wrapping like, my brain around that right now. Yeah, like, mm. So yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Much more yeah, than means- length even. I think it really like, um, is where things, if they fit well, then it really shows there. So I'm the obsessed with- Uh uh-huh that's I'm obsessed with shoulder fitting
0: that's like my my thing oh it's so true because they say I mean there's certain parts of the body from which a garment hangs and the shoulders are obviously one of the most important ones um and the waist being another one you know for skirts and pants or even for fitted dresses where like the weight of the garment is kind of taken on and so yeah having well-fitted shoulders is hugely important isn't
1: it yeah yeah I also agree
2: (laughs) So um, you make recycled kimonos also? Like, is that how you learned about that? Like you have been taking them apart or what do you do with them?
1: Uh well, that's another thing which happened by accident. <laughs> um, oh, goody. So, yeah, I mean, my my life is full of ac- accidents. Happy ones, um, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. I know. So for the kimono, in I started wearing it because I was... I mean, in Nippori, so the textile town here in Tokyo, there are several kimono second hand kimono shops, some are meant for wearing, so you know just second hand, and others are meant for remake and I entered this store by accident again, see, <laughs> and there was this very old lady, and we started chatting, and I was commenting, Oh, but this kimono, they're so gorgeous, but they're a bit stained, and she' was like, "Oh yeah, but those are for remake." And I was like, what? For remake you can do that? So yeah, yeah, it's very important to traditional Japanese culture to remake kimono because there is this concept of motainai. So it's wasteful. And uh, traditionally kimono would be reworn and reused until you can only use them for nappies. Oh wow. But so she introduced me to this concept. And then a friend of mine who is Japanese and whose grandmother is a kimono seller. New discovered that I was sewing and wearing kimono, and she had many kimono, so she brings me a lot of stuff with them, and, and tell always tells me, "Oh, please remake this," and I think it could be a good skirt or this could be a good jumpsuit. So and the idea is to take the kimono apart and you wash it, um, And if there are no, and I want to implement the zero waste approach. So try to reuse everything, including sometimes the thread or the at the back of the collar, because you have to fold it. There are some push buttons. So even recycle the push buttons like little snaps, kind of thing to snap. Yeah. Yeah. Snap. Yeah. Because you have to, the the collar is very wide, and then you fold it to measure. and you generally, there are snaps. So, cool. so I do that. Uh, or if there are lots of stains, I make different things uh, like bags, uh, etc. I've made an act on dress. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, kimonos have a ton of fabric, right? Well, yeah. And um, they're all, cut. it's very easy to remake because they're just a bunch of rectangles. So if you take it apart and you wash the bit, you can just you know reassemble into anything, and it's a lot of fabric.
2: Uh, oh yeah, wow! I didn't. That's it's yeah, clever.
1: Amelia, you just mentioned what was the
0: word you said? Motonai. Ah, uh, motainai". motainai. and on your blog you described that word as being a word that means sadness at the at the sight of waste, like being sad about yes. seeing waste. <laughs>
1: Yeah it's difficult Japanese Japanese language is full of these words which are untranslatable but they encompass a very complex feeling mm-hmm. so generally people say omotenashi oh, means that oh, this is wasteful but it's not just the it's not just the feeling you have at the sight of waste it's also the existential feeling <laughs> of shame or the waste something like that
0: yeah. Well, I think that's that's like the word of the day, the word of the decade, maybe, because I really do feel like there really is a movement towards people mm-hmm. really kind of mm-hmm. figuring out, wait a second, it, when I say people, obviously the Japanese have known about this for a long time, so for let's talk time. maybe yeah. about us Westerners who are suddenly realizing that, you know, recycling isn't working anymore because there's no place that wants our recyclables anymore, and... Um, you know that we just have to get on top of this waste problem so I think it's a really good word Motanai. am I saying it right yeah Motainai. Motainai. okay I've got it I think Motainai. Motainai. that's uh, yeah I love that that whole concept yeah mm. me too tell us more about fabric in Japan so you get to so you get to go to kimono shops or vintage shops and they have kimonos some that are still wearable as is and some that are meant yeah. to be taken apart and reworn which yeah. I'm already super jealous of but I also know that you know Japan is famous for some amazing fabrics that we all freak out about over here when they're imported so tell us a little bit about what that's like like just what is the fabric scene there in Tokyo <laughs> This
1: is fascinating, because for me, this is just normal. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, it's beautiful. I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah, no, so, you know, you never know you have something special until somebody tells you, oh, that's very amazing. But So at least in Tokyo, there are several areas which are famous for fabric shops, but in particular, Nippori is um, possibly the most famous, like, worldwide, and... It's um, very interesting because it's an entire street and maybe it's about one kilometer and it's full of little shops. Some famous, some more like mom-and-pop stores and well, it depends. Um, sometimes some a bit... Uh, it's interesting, let's say, to see what it's kind of commonly fo- found in Japan and what's not. For example, Tencel, it's... Very difficult to come by, mm. um, but linen is amazing. They have a lot of linen, and even you can even find very readily hand handwoven linen mm. from Kyoto. Um, the prints, if you're a lover of prints, Japan is definitely in the right place because they have prints for every taste. They never color away from the floral to the kawaii. There is everything. Um, Silk is also not bad at all, obviously. Um, but I may say that uh, silk, the quality of the silk satin, it's higher in Italy. Ah, but, mm. Yeah, because there are some parts of Italy which are, I think, around Como, I can't remember exactly. Not my part of the country, but which is famous for silk satin.
0: Yeah, I think it's around Como, I, I, I seem to recall. Yeah, that. maybe around Como
1: and... When I went to Italy the last time, I was talking with the shop assistant in a fabric store. Obviously about silk, and he So and I had some Japanese satin, and then he gave me same color, like an Italian satin, and okay, yeah, the quality was completely different, <laughs> but it's still great in Japan. And other silks like Chirima, yeah, yeah, Chirima, like crap, sort of crap, and in the kimono silks, of course, those are very good. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that what I like uh, is that you have a lot of options, and you can go and really touch the fabrics uh, yourself, and you you don't have to rely on online shopping. So and this is a blessing, and I mean I'm very happy that I have this opportunity to actually be able to go to the shop. And if they start knowing you, especially in smaller shops, they may and you are looking for something particular, they may actually look out for this for you so it's nice to build this kind of personal relationship with a store owner in such a big city on the (laughs) other side of the world that's great yeah so lucky
0: I actually have a funny um, funny story about, so there's a, there's a sort of fabric district here in Toronto as well. It, I mean, I say district in air quotes because it's maybe a few blocks long on Queen Street West, but there's a high concentration of fabric shops there. And there's one fabric shop, it's actually a sewing machine shop and fabric. And the woman who runs it is notoriously grumpy. And I like, I'm always scared when I go in there and I sort of like you know, don't really ask for too much or anything. In fact, I don't ask for anything at all. And I went on a a sewing date with a a fellow sewist. Her name is Uta. I can, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes to her, her blog. Uh, but we met up, and we went into that store, and she walked in, and the grumpy woman was like, Uta, how are you? It's so good to see you. What can I get for you today? And I'm looking at Uta, and I'm like, how How did you do that? How did you manage to crack the grumpy woman that runs <laughs> the so-, <laughs> so I have to work on that a little bit more. So I- I'm glad to hear, Amelia, that you've got good relationships going on there.
1: Yeah. Well, sometimes, I mean, you just have to chat with them. Like also in the in the secondhand kim- the remake kimono for Remake store there's this very old lady and she's like a million <laughs> the quintessential the, she's the quintessential obachan so like old grandma uh-huh. and uh, she like, always looks at if you go in and you're uh, I mean not not ethnically Japanese she looks at you like mm, trouble then you start chatting she realizes you speak Japanese and then everything is fine and you're friends. Um, nice. So how's so, your Japanese is it is it pretty good after five years of being there <laughs> No not I mean pretty good is uh, a matter of personal opinion <laughs> um, um, I'm general linguistically very confused because I speak multiple languages uh-huh. so sometimes words in different languages come in and they look at me like what <laughs> um, but I mean I can uh, somehow my Japanese is very... Um, isolated in my my knowledge is very isolated into a certain set of topics, so I can speak extensively about my research project or fabric, <laughs> or kimono or sewing. Yeah, and most then, important stuff. Yeah, <laughs> must <laughs> make sense. But then I I don't know the name of vegetables. So.
0: <laughs> as long as you got so, neuroscience and sewing covered, you're good, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, so I'm like, yeah, who needs to eat? No, I mean, vegetables I'm okay with, <laughs> but uh, but I know everything about sewing, including all the names for needles. Mm. So are there a lot of uh, home sewers in Japan? Yeah, actually, the sewing scene here is quite vibrant. And there are, I think, three types of sew- sewists. Um, at least in my observation, there are the ones who mostly quilt. Mm-hmm. And there are quilt shows in Tokyo, actually near here, maybe twice a year. And then the ones who uh, do cosplay. So you see them, you see especially younger girls in Nippori. And maybe they're in the school uniform still when they go to the store. But judging from what they buy, they're, those are probably cosplayers. And the cosplay scene here is impressive. It's
0: huge, <laughs> isn't
1: it? So. Yeah. Th- yeah, they're very good, and some some are so good that actually they make cosplays for others, and they sell them. So it's really impressive. And then there is a third category of sew, uh, sewists who make clothes for themselves or for maybe family, maybe their grandmothers who make clothes for the grandkids. And um, in a very similar aesthetic to the one you can find in the Japanese sewing books, which are very popular in the West. Mm-hmm. And then there is a lot. There is a kind of significant group of people who embroider also. Oh, cool! Yeah, Japanese uh, sashiko is
0: really catching on around here these days. It seems.
1: So there actually sashiko is very popular. Even in school, they have sashiko clubs, uh, um, so you can learn in school. Yeah, and yeah, they have still at least my friends still. So people who are my age told me that they had to learn something like home economics, Um, and they were like, oh, I was terrible at it, and I barely knew how to turn on the sewing machine, but I enjoyed Sashiko, which I found very interesting.
0: Oh, and we should explain, I guess, Sashiko for for any listeners who might not be familiar with it, although it has been kind of all over sewing feeds in the last year or so. Uh, It's kind of a type of embroidery, right? Is it it very different from... "Quote unquote" normal embroidery, or
1: well, you use. So I'm not an expert on sashiko, mm-hmm. but um, you use a different thread and a different needle, and it's mostly done with uh, kind of straight lines, and uh, these straight lines intersect with one another, and they create patterns. Uh, of I mean, all the like azanoha, so uh, sort of like flower pattern or little squares. Um, um, and I think, as far as I know, originally it was also used as um, kind of quilting for padding mm. and uh, as and for um, repairing, mm-hmm. so like mending. There is a kind of famous Sashiko artist on Instagram, and his Instagram I think is sashi.co and he also explains a lot uh, like what's behind the... he calls it the Japanese-ness of Sashiko and he also points out that you don't have to be Japanese to enjoy Sashiko, but it's deeply rooted in the culture. And he explains that very well. And he's probably the authority on Sashiko online. Okay. We'll link to that. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. That sounds um, interesting.
1: Yeah. He's a great. I've, he, it's him and his wife and they're, they're Japanese, but they live in New York or somewhere in, in the East coast and they do masterclass, and they're artists without any doubt. Yeah, they're great, I recommend them. That's cool. Sometimes he may sound a bit grumpy on on in writing. But I mean I perfectly understand his point because many people have profited from like the fact that Sashiko is so popular and these people have like no relation to japan and have never met been to in the country and they know now they just want to exploit the fact that it's well this is cultural appropriation mm. period mm-hmm. and so he was very angry about that and rightly so and and you and, and wrote about it extensively and of course some people were upset by his, what he wrote but you know like he's i mean everybody's entitled to having an opinion especially if you are an artist who works with sashiko and that's your livelihood and you're also Japanese so you understand the cultural implications mm-hmm. yeah. and then I mean I mean the uh, other people like white people you just have to listen mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yes. to, to what
1: he has to say instead of being all upset like oh no but I wanted to do sashiko and now I've been told that actually I'm an appropriator yeah yeah I mean it's like I'm
0: oversimplifying but Oh, I understand. Yeah, it's a difficult conversation to have, for sure. And I I think sometimes when the idea of cultural appropriation is brought up, uh, some people get immediately on the defensive, like, well, what does this mean? Am I not allowed to do, you know, fill in the blank. And it's it's more nuanced than that. It requires a respect and a knowledge and a sort of research to understand what it is you're doing, as opposed to just kind of copying what seems to be you know, a fad or something like that, or the newest yeah, trend, trendy, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. I have this problem a lot because, uh, I mean, as you have seen from my Instagram, I wear kimono very frequently mm-hmm. and, and I was told by admittedly not Japanese people online that I am culturally appropriating. And, uh, and I took this very personally and I started, you know, because I don't want to be complacent and I want to be part of the problem. So I really thought about it. And, uh, I realized that, um, that this is just my opinion. Even the Japanese will tell you that anybody can enjoy kimono because for them it's just clothes. I mean, I'm talking about Japanese people in Japan. I mean, I can't speak for Japanese Americans or
0: right because Japanese in the diaspora they may have a different yeah, take of on course, yeah. that and appropriation.
1: That's, yeah, and the, and that's perfectly correct. And they're I mean they I mean they're entitled to feeling differently. It's, so as long as you don't disjunct kimono from the culture it comes from and you um take it in this context and respect it and learn from it and about it, then you're okay. Mm. I mean because at least you're doing you're putting in the work. And so you're trying to understand where this object comes from in the context of the culture which created it. Whereas if you, for example, are a manufacturer and make something which is slightly T-shaped and long and you call it kimono, mm. yeah, that's wrong. Or if you're like a fashion blogger who has never been in Japan and you decide to wear a kimono and say, oh, this is so trendy and cool. I mean, I find that a bit more problematic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then you know. Like, really, and but on the other hand, for example, if you are somebody who is interested in Japanese culture abroad and overseas, as we say here, because everything is overseas, since we're <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> a yeah. good point. Uh, yeah, so, and I mean, I know several people who are maybe in Germany or in the Netherlands, and they're they, they very interested in Japanese culture and they're studying uh, tea ceremony and they study kitsuke, so the way to dress kimono. Um, And um, I find this very beautiful because you are from a different culture on a different continent. Maybe you have not come to Japan yet and still you find this fascinating so much so that you are willing to invest time and money to study it. So this is what we should do with cultures which are not our own. And... uh, and often these people study from japanese masters or people who have studied from japanese masters for like a decade but mm-hmm. they go back to their country and they teach others but yeah now of course it's a very complicated problem and i don't have all the answers but it's, i think it's important that we think about these issues um mm-hmm. and, and especially like lis- if if and listen to people who come from different backgrounds from our, from our own or from, in the case of kimono, people who come from Japan or from a Japanese culture background, cultural background. Well, it, um, it leads into like your personal style too,
2: that we, you know, what we see on Instagram and like what you choose to wear. A lot of it has respect for the Japanese culture and you obviously are a fan and then you incorporate that into your personal style. Like how, how does that all work for you?
1: Um well, it's fairly easy in the sense that, so for example, if I wear a wrap dress, generally in the West uh, you wrap the right on top of the left, but in Japan, you write you always wrap the left on top of the right, and the opposite is for dead people. oh my I'm so, just, I'm just sort yeah. of air
0: wrapping right now to try to remember which way I'm wrapping my yeah. dresses and yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, so I I wear wrap dresses the Japanese way, so with left on top of right. So it's for, you um, only wrap the other way for dead people. Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, if you're a corpse, I mean, if you're dead and they're dressing you uh-huh. for burial, so for cremation, your kimono will be with the right side on top of the wow. left. Wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. This comes from Chinese culture, but... Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's a <clears throat> very long story but so I tried to do that and uh, but yeah, it I don't know. It's so now that I'm used to wearing kimono, it's it's kind of automatic. Mm. Um do you wear kimonos a lot when yeah. you're uh out and
0: about on your normal normal daily routine. I mean, we see a certain style on Instagram and I, you know, you can, you can help me describe this, but my take on it is you have a kind of minimalistic style. You definitely have a lot of black and not a lot of prints or, or color. Um, I call your outfits very smart looking, um, a little bit edgy, but, um, but nothing over the top, I I love it. I mean, I just love your style. I think it's fantastic. It's a -hmm, a, a tiny mm -hmm. bit dramatic in terms of some interesting seams and shapes and silhouettes. I love the silhouettes. Um, But enough of me going on about your style. How do you define it?
1: (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you. Um, um, (laughs) Well, I I don't like colors. I mean, it's not like I don't like colors. I don't like colors of myself. Uh Uh-huh. So I, I mostly wear black. 90% of the time I wear black. And if I want to be extravagant, I wear gray.
2: <laughs> Wild.
1: <laughs> I know, right? So sometimes I'm like, oh, gee, so, so colorful. So, bold. <laughs> <laughs> so bold. Yeah. So for me, the, the maximum of when I feel really I'm clashing colors is when I wear black, gray, and white all at once. <laughs> so- <laughs> And in that case, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, This is too much color. But, anyways, <laughs> um, so I've been, sa- I, I, it has been said that my style is, uh, oh, what is, what? Like Jedi going out for dinner. Ah, <laughs> yes, I love it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah a, a lady I now said, oh, yeah, Emilia's style is a, a, what a Jedi would wear to go out for dinner. And I was like, <laughs> great. I like that. <laughs> I recently went to work wearing an
0: outfit that I was feeling, you know, when you put on an outfit and you're feeling like a million bucks. So I was really feeling it. Mm-hmm. And I showed up to work and my friend at work, she said, you look like a Jedi. <laughs> so maybe that's why I love your style so much. Yeah, I, you know. yeah
1: but actually Jedi style comes from um, a traditional Buddhist wear. Mm-hmm. Like yes, so it's from. It has a very strong Japanese influence. There you go. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, well, um, so I'm I'm job hunt. So my style has evolved a lot actually since I started sewing. Because now I am also job hunting. Mm. So, I'm wearing much more tailored garments, and like wool pants and shirts. Uh, sort of. Now it's cold, so I mostly wear cashmere turtlenecks. But you know, you got the gist. Nice. Um, and I'm making suits. Uh.
0: So, and do you find that your Italian heritage is coming together with this Japanese influence? Like you said, your family was really involved in the wool industry and creating wool. And where you grew up it was a big wool producer. And you were talking about wool pants. Is there some
1: combination of of these two heritages? So, for I think so. <laughs> For me, it's kind of like just natural, I mean, my study naturally progressed, but um, so definitely I have a passion for tailoring and uh, so and wool gar- woolen garments and wool suitings, and and this is maybe not so uh, eradicated in Japan. So, I mean, people wear suits all the time here, but um, they don't really have a history and heritage of wool manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, except in some places like uh, in in Iwate, where they do homespun. But um, and then for but on the same time, um, at least where I grew up, people are very conservative. So um, so you think of Italy, bold colors and prints. Yeah, forget that. Mm-hmm. Where I'm from, people. So the epitome of fashion is navy with beige. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no colors, uh, people are very conservative-looking. So um, the things I wear, so kind of like straight pants or maybe like white pants and crop jackets or very long jackets, Some somehow I like these extremes, um, are kind of a bit different. And often I've been told, oh, this looks very Japanese from, you know, the idea of Japanese style, somebody in the West who has never been to Japan may have. So. I guess, unbeknownst to me, the two have been merging and together Interesting. to create one cohesive wardrobe. Cohesive, I hope.
0: <laughs> oh, I think so. I mean, based on the pictures you post, certainly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah. it sounds like that was the universe, uh, you know, the, the fact that it was a Japanese researcher who replied to you first, that was meant to be because you yeah. were meant to continue <laughs> developing that style, it sounds like. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe so, Yeah. yeah. Well, we should ask you about The socialists because uh, I neglected to mention at the beginning that um, I think one of the reasons I contacted you was your introduction on The Socialist website uh, with your interesting (laughs) biography. And I thought, we have to talk to her. She sounds amazing. Um, So you just recently became, I guess, a... The Socialist website has a rotating staff of editors who hmm. sign on for six months or a year, I think. So, tell us about the Socialist and why you wanted to be a part of it in that way.
1: Yeah, um, actually, like I already, I thought about joining this rotating group of like guests, not guests, but temporary editors last year. But then my PhD could, uh, I couldn't, and then this year, Gillian, um of crafting a rainbow like asked me like can you do it this time and I was like sure I will um so I really like the socialists because they are very inclusive but also unapologetically sassy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. especially certain authors are like yeah I mean we understand uh, this and this prob- problems but this is also my opinion and I will share it and and I um they're trying to be very inclusive of like different uh, uh, ethnicities, of uh, different body shapes and sizes mm-hmm. and different backgrounds. And I think this kind of inclusivity and diversity is a bit lacking in the sewing community at large. Mm-hmm. Because even, even among the people who follow me, I see that they're mostly... What I would call wasps, not fancied with. Men you know, take like, it. It's uh, okay.
0: That's yep.
1: Hands up over here. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, I'm gonna say, yeah, English English native speakers. Maybe not even from the U.S. or Canada, but maybe from Australia. But you know, native English speakers uh, and um, white Protestant. Uh, maybe not Protestant, but still white. Um uh, whereas. There is a sewing community also in other countries in the world, which is not like Italy has a very vibrant sewing community. So much so that it's even in, on national television, mm-hmm. and uh, and people don't know about this. So I also wanted to bring something new to the table because I am not from an Anglo-Saxon country. I am from the south of Europe, Sephardi Jew, and I live in Japan. So like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an interesting um, combination for sure. Yeah. So. Um, yeah and then uh, it's a very good opportunity also for me to see other people and hear other people's stories uh, which otherwise I would not um nor uh, I would not connect with and discover mm-hmm. so it's I think it's a mutual um, exchange uh, and we can both grow nice
0: Yeah, kudos to Jillian from Crafting a Rainbow and all the work she does for The Socialist. She's built that from the ground up, and she's so committed. And I love her commitment to, I think it's described as radical inclusivity on The Socialist website, which is just so amazing. Because I I agree with you, Amelia, Um, if, you know, the covers of sewing patterns and covers of sewing magazines are anything to go by, you know, there are many sewists out there of all stripes and backgrounds and they're just not represented, I think, in in a lot of means. And we've had that conversation here on this on this podcast before. And yeah. you know, one of the one of the difficult things is as an English speaking podcast You know, it's difficult to kind of just reach in to, say, the Italian sewing community, because, of course, we need to make sure that we can find someone who is also involved in the English-speaking sewing community so that we're even aware. Yeah, so it becomes kind of difficult. And I realized this when um, I was visiting Spain on a vacation, and uh, a sewing show came on the television, on Spanish television, Mm. And it was a really cool show, and I thought, how come I don't know about this show? And then I thought, oh, well, I don't know about it because it's in Spanish, right? It, but And so there's definitely those linguistic divides, and uh, uh, that's why I thought it was so fascinating to be able to talk to you because you're in Japan. You're sort of our entree into the Japanese sewing <laughs> world, right? So that's, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. What do you do as an editor... So the different things. So you write your own posts. um, Then you contact and your liaison with guest editors. uh, Uh um, You man you man the Instagram. Or um, you search for volunteers. For example, for theme months, uh, we have we are both inviting guest editors and also actively searching volunteers who can write. So and you have to kind of organize this. um, I mean, different people. Um, you do a lot of copy editing.
2: <laughs> I have noticed that it, it is well done on The Socialist. It does seem like there's a copy yeah. editor.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, like, there is a copy editing team, and they're great. And yeah. I mean, I'm always impressed because I type very fast, and uh, some days I cannot type. So there are, like, lots of typos, and uh, and I'm, and then magically these... <laughs> Typo-rich pastes transformed into something which is actually readable. <laughs> so, it's amazing. It's a yeah, miracle. So much goes
0: on behind the scenes for for all of what's going on with the socialists. Yeah, it's, it's yeah that's crazy. what I was wondering about. Is yeah, how, because the
2: quality is so high that I wondered what was going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It didn't. I, that's not. That's not accidental for certain. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well before we let you go, Amelia, I just wanted to ask about what uh, what is on your sewing table and or if you want to tell us about uh, any favorite garments you've sewn recently.
1: Um, so actually I've just finished my latest suit. Um, I'm part of the Minerva uh, blog, blogger Network. Mm-hmm. So they sent me the fabric and I made a suit. And this suit took me forever. There was a lot of drama with the jacket. So that's the thing, which... Yeah, I mean, because I wanted to... I found this beautiful vintage pattern of, like, boxy and short uh, jacket. And I thought it was going to look amazing with the pants I made. Then I made a Muslim and I was like, no, just no, just no. But really, no. But did I say no? (laughs) No. so but I mean, then a month passes and I'm like, I don't know, I have to make this jacket. And then I ended up making a Burda style pattern and it worked out fine. Mm. Um, I just have to, so that's finished finally. So, and then next I am making most likely a trench coat for my husband. But oh, I, lucky guy. because I can leave, yeah. Yeah, no. because I can't leave a pattern alone. It's like normal sleeve, and I want to transform it into raglan. So, I have to first study how to do that. I mean, I have to do this modification. Mm. It's a bit tricky because it's a two piece sleeve. Mm. So, with like top sleeve and under sleeve, so I have to maybe merge the sleeve pieces and then divide them, divide and conquer kind (laughs) of strategy. That's the strategy I'm going for. And as far as favorite makes, Um, So every time I make something new, I say, this is my favorite make ever, and this is the only thing I'm going to wear from now on. (laughs) But realistically, maybe my second Acton dress, so UA, the one without the twists, which I made out of um, old kimono, um, is probably my favorite make. And so remind
0: me, the Acton dress is by who? Which pattern company is that? In the folds, mm, in the folds, right. Emily. Of in, in the oh, folds, yeah. yeah. In the fold.
1: mm-hmm. So I made both views, yeah. So uh, it's you kind would of love it, more. Laurie.
2: It's got a square neckline, square oh, yeah. Ne-
1: sign me up, <laughs> and it has a kind of high bodice, princess seamed, and it has a high back and a slightly lower back, but still, you know, bra friendly. Um, and then the, there are two options also for the skirt, and one is ra- wraps around. Uh, and you have like two strings, and you can tie it in the front or in the back. It's amazing. Another one is a normal sleeves. where sorry, a normal, kind of a bit slightly full skirt with pockets. Um, I made both views because I found this pattern was amazing. And mm. and the, the view A, so the one normal without the uh, without tying of anything, I made it with this old kimono and. I particularly love this particular garment because the, oh, great. I went to one of the kimono stores. I go to uh, frequently for kimono, kimono to wear, secondhand kimono. This in particular are all antique. And the girls of the store sees me and says, ah, I have something for you. So goes and pulls out this kimono, which was black, uh, and uh, but with kind of like a sort of botan, very large scale botanical print, uh, but not just with, so, not really botanical, more like with, Uh, (laughs) leaves and uh, shells but all in a kind of ivory of white and it was a summer kimono in a fabric which is called sha which is kind of like an organza and so it's very transparent and she said oh I I found this and because you told me you sew and this has many holes so you can't wear it it has to be remade into something so Mm. I put it aside for you and I was like, this is amazing. I absolutely, I will take it and absolutely make it something. And because I did all these holes, I could not make a zero-waste pattern. And so I ended up making an act on dress, dress, which I had to fully line. Of course, the irony of making a fully lined summer dress is not lost to me. But, um, so I I wore it a lot. And uh, all, I, mean, I made it last summer and still I wore it. Even I went to a conference where I gave a presentation and I wore this dress and I was feeling amazing people ask me like <laughs> yeah people Mad. were like oh this dress is so beautiful where did you buy it?" and I was like I made it and it's from old kimono oh, I feel awesome yeah <laughs> yes it's your million dollar dress <laughs> right yeah. so yeah <laughs> oh, it's
0: so nice with the dramatic flourish of the hands as you say that yeah That's great. I saw a picture of it. It's beautiful. It fits so well. It's totally suited to your style. It's terrific. Oh, that's great. So we will definitely put a link to your Instagram and to your blog so people can see those amazing makes. Helena, what about you? What's on your sewing table? I know the sewing bee is just off to the races, so I'm sure you're caught up in that. Yeah, I made made a t-shirt
2: for the sewing bee and I enjoyed finishing something. I just never <laughs> been finishing. You mean these. something that sat around for a while? No, I, no, because for the sewing bee, um, you have to start and finish in a week. So I did that, but I just just the actual act of finishing something was very nice. I thought this is nice. I should do this more often. Like I should take all those things <laughs> in the. I have them stuffed in my closet or in my bathroom. I have a. I have another bathroom in here <laughs> that I don't use because it's another <laughs> bathroom. So. <laughs> because it's stuffed
0: with sewing that's right <laughs>
2: that's right I'm like oh finishing and then you could just did you know you could just wear the clothes after you finish when it they're they finished. yeah you don't have to just keep them um, laying around your sewing room so I enjoyed that very much <laughs> <laughs> uh, well congratulations that. I
0: I yeah I can relate because I've had I have a bunch of UFOs kicking around for sure yeah how about you what are you sewing Lori uh, well, I just finished a, a pilvy coat, and so that is from the book um, Everyday Style by Lada Jansdottir. Oh. I probably didn't say that right. Um, it's a very simple kind of overcoat with no fastenings, and I used some Japanese fabric. I think it's Japanese. Echino? Is that a Japanese
1: uh,
0: brand? Ah, Echino,
1: yes. Echino, okay. I can't remember if it's written Echino or Echino, but yeah, it's, it is Japanese uh, pa- designer.
0: Yeah. So it's a linen canvas and uh, kind of a weird print. I'm, I really am not sure whether it's my style or not. I feel a little bit um, a little bit weird art teacher in it. I don't know. We'll see. I'll post it and I'll get some opinions whether I can rock this or not. So it's awesome. Yeah. yeah.
2: But a fun coat, just, I mean, whether you can rock it or not, just like, Having a fun coat and not just a boring black coat, doesn't it just lift your spirits? I love that. It does.
1: What's wrong with black coats? (laughs) Nothing is wrong. You're beautiful black coats, my love. I feel personally attacked.
0: Amelia, you'd fit in really well here in Canada because I always complain that in the winter everybody looks like they're going to a funeral. It is all black. And if people want to stand out, they wear gray, just like you do. Yeah. <laughs> so.
1: But also where I'm from, I have trouble because I famously got married in a black dress. Ah. Oh, wow. So my, my mother said that she would not come. I mean, it was in Japan. So first I wore kimono. And then I changed for the blanket into a black dress. And my mother said, I'm coming only because it's in Japan. Because if you did this in Italy, I would not come to your wedding because you're wearing black. <laughs> What's <laughs> so, a good thing you did it in Japan, then? That worked yeah, out Yeah, I was well. like, who oh, would dodge that one? <laughs> <laughs> did you make it yourself? No, actually, that was several years ago before I started sewing. Right. Yeah, because like, you're
0: pretty new at sewing, right? It's just been yeah. a few years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, you make amazing like things, years. so well done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i've I become obsessed so. awesome yeah
0: yay another one converted to sewing yeah so thank you amelia it's been so great to talk to you it's really nice to get to get to chat with you and thanks for getting up I super know. early on sunday morning to do it with us even though it's still saturday night here for us
1: <laughs> thanks yeah my pleasure thank you for inviting me thank you bye
0: for listening to this episode of the clothes making mavens podcast for more information and more episodes visit clothesmakingmavens.com we would love to hear from you you'll find options for sending us an email leaving a comment or even a voicemail on clothesmakingmavens.com hope to hear from you soon and thanks for listening